Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, which delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 111 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we are bringing you part two of our super epic uh, (laughs) episode on Alzheimer's disease. So last episode we covered a little bit into the definition of Alzheimer's, what plaques and tangles are and what they actually mean when they form in the brain. We talked about the connection of type 3 diabetes and blood sugar balance. We talked through sleep and um, resetting kind of that ancestral way of, of sleeping and eating and connecting. And we also talked a little bit about some of the lab markers um, to go ahead and run if this is of concern. So in today's episode, I know we're going to go deeper into supplementation strategy and um, things to consider bringing in in terms of supplements and dietary um, changes, and then we'll also get deep down the rabbit hole of ketosis and Alzheimer's and APOE. Yes. So some of us may be fear-mongered or (laughs) concerned about the, the consideration of an APOE impact on our fat metabolism. Some of us might not even know what APOE means, and I promise you we will get to that in this episode. We promised it last episode, and then we just had far too much fun going down the rabbit hole that we were approaching the hour mark and didn't want to make a two-hour episode. So here we are, back with episode 111, part two. If you haven't listened to last episode, please pause this and go back. It's a lot of foundation. But before I go into supplement strategy, I will kick off with a little bit of a definition of Alzheimer's and just some of the foundation so that we at least have that relayed, if you will, before we we dig into new stuff. So awesome. Yes. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) Alzheimer's disease is a fundamental age associated imbalance, if you will, between the opposition of the processes that mediate plasticity. Uh, So we are going to have imbalance in the synaptoblastic and synaptoclastic activity. So the formation and the breakdown, if you will. Okay. So there's a physiological mediation or regulation of our synaptic development, the maintenance, repair, and remodeling. And this includes APP, which is our beta amyloid precursor protein, okay? It's a signal, uh, if you will, or a mediator of plasticity-regulated signaling. So APP has derivative proteins APOE, which is a fat carrier, and tau. And we talked about in last episode about how basically Alzheimer's drives atrophy or shrinking in the brain. And this is often mediated by beta amyloid plaque formation. So basically this tarry-like plaque structure creates oxidative damage, which creates cellular dysfunction, and the brain size and structure starts to decline. 
something else that kind of drives this mechanism is tangles as we see in the brain. And these are known as neurofibrillary tangles, which basically are forms of tau protein that build up as a dysfunctional tissue. And then there's on the other end of the spectrum, positive players in the Alzheimer's game, like nerve growth factor, which is a nootrophic factor and a neuropeptide that is involved in the regulation of growth, maintenance, proliferation or new birth, if you will, and ongoing survivalhood of targeted neurons. And nerve growth factor, as we kind of dangled last go around, is connected to beta pancreatic cells and immune health. So there's a lot of connection beyond there's the beta amyloid correlation or trend or risk with blood sugar. There's also the nerve growth factor decline when blood sugar demand and fasting insulin levels are high. So <laughs> we left off with labs and all yes. the things. We talked about labs that you can look at for inflammation, labs you can look at for blood sugar metabolism. And we started to tickle some of the markers of toxic metals. Um, and, and that's where we left off. Um, so let's talk about some, um, tying this all together, some supplement recommendations to consider, again, just for preventative and then for, um, you know, slowing or even reversing some of the cognitive decline that we see. Yeah. And, and I think that for sure, when we go into this episode upload, we should screenshot top tips and these supplement recommendations, because this would be a great kind of base, uh, repertoire if you are for just, just a launch pad that would be whole body support. So the first one I would start with would be a B complex. So, you know, when I talked about nutrients of focus, we talked about the bioavailable form of folate. We talked about the uh, methylated B12. We talked about choline. Choline is going to be richly provided in our B complex, as is trimethylglycine, which I mentioned, which also is going to help with that reduction of homocysteine. So the B-complex specifically of our line is going to have the active form of all of your B vitamins, as well as that P5P and that pantothenate, literally everything. And that's going to help to reduce the inflammation as well as the support for our neurological system on a synaptic level. So pretty cool thing. And that's why we think of a B vitamin for energy and like brain function when we're sure. feeling burned out. So for sure, that's a great bar none. And then I would also argue that being on a good quality multi should be your other insurance policy, if you will, like our multi-defense, which also has a repeat of all of those methylated Bs. I'm not concerned of toxicity because you urinate out excess and they're water soluble. And so many people are deficient. I mean, what population would you say of people that you run micronutrients? Have you seen yet a single test where someone does not have a B vitamin that's borderline or functional? I've seen one ever. Um, and it's because they were and taking they our, they're on our B complex plus okay. multi-defense. So even that layer, people are like, oh, yeah. I'm on a multi, I'm covered. No, you're probably not if you're living in yes. the modern world and like not in a yes. bubble. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, those two would be bar none. And then I would go to more like functional strategy, right? So our super turmeric would be the next one I would consider because we've actually seen in research that curcumin can reduce beta amyloid. So it can actually reduce plaque formation and it can bring down the, those inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein, 
curcumin can also help with blood sugar metabolism. And so for those reasons, that would be a huge kind of functional nutrient. And the super turmeric has a gram, so it's a thousand milligrams per capsule, and it is dried curcuminoids in their most bioactive form mixed with turmeric oil. Very unique formulation. Um, and that makes it four to six times more bioavailable than any other dried curcuminoid, even those that are mixed with biopurine or black pepper without it being a gastric irritant. So I'm a huge fan. I take one a day minimum, often two. Um, and we see also, and I talk about in the anti-anxiety diet, that curcumin can be a natural antidepressant and mood stabilizer. So, so many cool things can come from turmeric. And then the next thing on the vein of anti-inflammatory go-to is our EPA DHA extra. So we actually get synaptic structural components built by DHA. And this is why DHA is hugely promoted now in baby formula. DHA, not DHEA to be clear. So this is a form of omega-3 fatty acid. This is where you'll see now like organic valley milk with DHA, <laughs> omega-3s added to this formula or whatnot. Um, and so it does play a role with actual structural components of our synapses in our brain. Uh, so a huge focus. And then the EPA is more widely anti-inflammatory. So getting a nice blend, I generally recommend at least 1.5 to 2 grams of omega-3s from EPA and DHA in their active form. So not just... 2,000 milligrams of omega-3s, I want two grams of a combination of EPA and DHA. So if you're looking at a formula and it only has 300 milligrams EPA and 200 milligrams DHA, you need four times that dosage to get to that level. So yeah, in our- You don't e want to take a million of them. Yeah, I was just going to say, in our <laughs> EPA, DHA extra, hence the extra, you only need to take two capsules to get to that 1.5 and three capsules if you want to get to that two or above. Awesome. And then um, cellular antioxidants, we had I've mentioned hit on that. already um, at two capsules per day for that two grams of NAC. Um, and then CoQ10. And yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And then CoQ10 as a, as a mitochondrial support, especially if somebody's on a statin, this is a major, it's a, a must, honestly, if you're on a statin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And then, you know, within that scope, based on your micronutrient needs, you would consider potentially some other things, but those would be my foundations. B-complex, multi-defense, super turmeric, EPA, DHA extra, cellular antioxidants, and a CoQ10 as a good foundational support. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, the role of oxidative damage, antioxidants in brain health, and let's finally connect this to keto because I know we really want to make sure that we go there today. Yes. So oxidative damage, we started to talk about a little bit and uh, basically this idea that antioxidants protect cells from damage. That's like the easiest way to think of it. And oxidative damage occurs when cells become dysfunctional. So when we're talking about the progression of beta amyloid plaque and the formation of these tangles, these occur with tau protein buildup in oxidative environment. So we want to reduce oxidative stress to the brain as rapidly as possible. This could be done in a two-way form. One is to consume high-level antioxidants. So consuming 
curcuminoids in the form of turmeric. Eating um, herbs and seasonings that are high antioxidant would be one delivery. So this could be like turmeric, ginger, cinnamon. Uh, Berries are very potent in especially wild berries if you can get your hands on them. Things like acai, blueberry, raspberries, gooseberries. (laughs) Berries are a great rich form of antioxidants. Uh, Resveratrol kind of in that category as a rich antioxidant in grape that has been found a lot of anti-aging, protective against oxidative damage and also helping with vascular function. And then uh, looking at on an antioxidant level for the sulfur, NAC, and glutathione, we would look at foods that that are cruciferous-based, like our cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cabbage, all supporting, and that gives us a pretty wide spectrum. The last thing I'd throw on for antioxidant world would be vitamin C-rich foods and our citrus and our zest and our bell peppers. So abundance of antioxidants is key. The next strategy of diet to reduce oxidative damage is, yes, nutritional ketosis, because we actually see that when the body goes into the state of producing ketones, not only do we get muscle maintenance, not only do we get enhanced body fat metabolism, but we actually see a reduction in oxidative stress in the brain that is measurable. So we not only reduce that A1C, that means that we get less glycation, less tarry sugar formation and plaque buildup, we actually can see a reduction of oxygen species, reduced ROS in the brain, and we can see more neurogenesis going on when an individual is making nutritional ketone bodies. So freaking awesome. And then you're also seeing more of a a mitochondrial impact in terms of energy, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're actually, right, dramatically going to be, be providing the mitochondria or the energy factories of our cells with high octane fuel that directly generate more energy with less of a burnout. It creates, again, less, it's it's like a clean fuel that creates less exhaust, if you will. That's the best way to really think about ketones in the brain. So they're high octane brain fuel. They make us feel full. They help us to burn unfavorable fat help us to offset inflammation, and they put out less oxidative damage. And then there's the sidebar as well of how ketones can reduce excitatory pathways. You know, that's a whole going back to how ketosis can help with seizures, but this can help us with anxiety and stress demand, which can help us with neuroregeneration and neuroplasticity. So pretty rock and roll on on many mechanisms of impact. Awesome. So keto will both reduce oxidative damage, will promote those conditions of autophagy to to get in there and really clean up the mess as well. Absolutely. And so, right, that's another mechanism is that we've seen that, like I said, Dr. Bredesen does a 12-hour fast. We recommend minimum of 12 hours to all of our clients, but we do 16-8 to take it up a step further, at least three to four days. I think, I don't know what you're doing these days, Becky, but I'm I'm generally doing about four to five days yeah. of a five. 16-8. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably five. for the work week. I'm like, it's a great structure to just get an excuse to skip breakfast. It really does. <laughs> and, and what we see in that timestamp is that we get a reduction of insulin levels and we get a reduction in that amyloid uh, plaque formation. So really awesome stuff with that fasting and the benefit of consideration of if, if you're if you're not in 
such a low carbohydrate diet of let's say 30 grams or less a day. And as we've discussed with the real food keto approach and our food is medicine virtual keto program, we do liberalize to 45 or so total grams of carbs once you get fat adapted and you can easily still be making nutritional ketones. But if you even don't want to go there and you don't want to restrict carbs below our low glycemic protocol, which is 75 grams a day. And that's kind of, I recommend a, a red stop for everyone to be at about 90 grams a day of carbs, regardless. You can still get benefits of ketones likely from just doing the 16-8 model during that time of fasting, especially if you wanted to add on medium chain triglycerides because MCTs will pretty much immediately promote ketone production, and they will improve insulin signaling. Um, so adding the full food form of coconut oil to your coffee is something that I recommend. And, and that's where Dr. Bredesen gets a little scary of, of APOE4 with, with saturated fats. And I think we'll, we'll hit that in a moment. But my perspective is that adding fat and doing a fat-mediated fast for the cognitive function can be very favorable, especially if you aren't keto-adapted because otherwise you will be getting hungry. You know, So it kind of depends on what are you using your fast for. Yes, you get the best autophagy with nothing in the body, and that's while you're sleeping. But if you're not fat-adapted, adding fat to your coffee or tea could be a great tool, especially if you're getting MCTs from coconut oil or from MCT oil or MCT powder. And um, that could be appropriate whether you're in keto and have low leptin and don't want to go into starvation mode, or if you are not in keto and you have the hunger. Otherwise, sure. if you're in keto, you have fat to burn, you could just do black coffee tea, and that might be more beneficial. Sure. But the, the fat in there does make it more tolerable for a lot of folks, for sure, especially if doing ketosis mostly for the cognitive benefits right. um, and not right. looking to, to lose fat. Um, right. So let's talk a little bit about that APOE4, what that means, Allie. Um, yes. And I think a lot of clients and listeners are, are confused if they can do a keto diet at all if their APOE4 genetics show up. Yes. So APOE protein carries cholesterol and other fats through the blood. So, you know, if we're eating higher fat, our bodies are going to make more APOE. Um, APOE is also found in the brain and it's very important for brain development and the repair of varied structures in the brain, especially after injury or after inflammatory insult. Um, so oxidative damage, again, exposure to toxins, APOE is going to come in and play a role not only in carrying the fats and circulating them, but also in development and repair. There are different alleles or genetic variations of the APOE gene. Um, there's an APOE2, an APOE3, and an APOE4. So, you know, we're all born with two alleles, one from mom, one from dad. So there's kind of like six known combinations, if you will. There's a E22, a 3-4, a 4-4, a 3-3. And 3-3 is thought to be about 50 to 60% of the population. Uh, 
two twos are very rare, are thought to be less than 1% of the population, but the two twos have the lowest risk association for Alzheimer's. It's projected to be less than 20%, um, 20% reduction, excuse me, from a generalized risk. And then a lot of the population is that 3-3, which is just kind of in the normal risk factor world. There is a population of about 20% of the population as a 3-4, and that puts people at a two to four times increased risk. And then the 4-4, four, four, which is likely said to be only 3 to 5% of the population, that means that mom and dad gave you an APOE4, so you're a 4-4 four, four combination, that is said to have a 25 times increased risk on development of Alzheimer's disease. So again, as you work up, it, the numbers go up into the fours, you're higher risk. Three, four is about a two to four times risk, which is about 20 to 30% of the population. And then the um, three threes are the majority of the population at like a norm risk with the four, four being a 25% risk. And when we're talking about a ketogenic diet as beneficial for autophagy, for benefits of fatty acids and oleic acid to support the brain, it's now this kind of cutting edge genetic research where people that have one of the APOE4s or maybe even are the fluke of the four, four that are creating kind of anxiety of is keto safe and what does this mean for me? Okay. So APOE4, obviously the, the plus plus for that would be the most risk to develop Alzheimer's, but not a definite by any means. It just increases likelihood. So let's talk about things that we can do to, if we do have one or, or both of those genes to increase and decrease our risk. Sure. So, so the way, yeah. So, you know, let's talk about how, about how, how it was discussed and then maybe sure. a like epigenetic perspective on it. So, sure. so just to kind of give people more background, if this is, if this is like, whoa, foreign, um, <laughs> <laughs> like what? Um, so going back to my first conversation of like tangles and such and beta amyloid proteins and, and the APP and whatnot. So what happens is um, the accumulation or buildup of tangled bundles of fibers or tangles, these, these amyloid plaques, um, are a huge feature of, of Alzheimer's, of course. And we see that these proteins are basically going to be upregulated highest in the four genetic population. And we've seen in some studies that APOE4 carriers who eat high amounts of saturated fat to be about seven times was the estimated seven times more likely to get Alzheimer's disease than non-carriers who ate less saturated fat. So they actually, though, use two variables if you didn't catch that. They said the APOE4 carriers, meaning the people that have APOE4 who ate the most saturated fat were seven times more likely to get Alzheimer's than non-APOE4 who ate less saturated fat. <laughs> Wait so a second. Eight, right? <laughs> like, doesn't that make you say the that things that make up. you say? Because we just said the APOE4s themselves are 25 times more likely to have Alzheimer's. So that's interesting. And I just want to call that out because that's a st statistic that I see circulating on the interwebs regularly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it would be a better study, obviously, if they compared APOE4 carriers with high amounts of saturated fat to APOE carriers, not non-carriers. Sure. Apples <laughs> to apples. Saturated like, fat yeah. And then looked at the variants. Um, they did stay in a separate research study 
that those that adhere to a Mediterranean diet um, are about 33% lower risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, but that's a generalized recommendation. Um, but that study did not variegate based on genetics. So the Mediterranean diet tends to be in, in published literature, the highest recommendation and the Mediterranean diet does have that reduction of saturated fat. But I just want to state very clearly that that's an associative risk factor. Yes, APOE does carry fat, um, but there is some research that's starting to come out. And this is the other kind of hit that would be negative um, that the impact of MCT may be weaker in APOE variants and that the ketogenic diet may not be as effective in APOE carriers. Um, but yeah, we have not seen, again, a direct apples to apples of increased saturated fat causes higher progression compared to APOE to APOE. Um, what we do know is on a risk factor level, compounding variables like high homocysteine and high CRP right, to be huge risk factors compounded with APOE. So another gene to be concerned of is maybe if you're homozygous C6, C677T, I had to write that with my finger in the air, um, <laughs> that's that, that most dominant methylation, MTHFR genetic, right? That's someone that has a harder bucket of apples. They're double APOE4 and maybe double methylation. That means that they're build up for inflammation and this fat carrier impact. So we need to kind of take everything into consideration. And the big things that we know, and we can say very clearly reduce risk is omega-3 fatty acids with high DHA, optimizing your B vitamin status, optimizing your antioxidants, and then regulating your immune system and inflammation with other things like vitamin D status. Um, so I think that's just something to state very clearly that yes, APOE4 puts you at a disadvantage. And we have seen that it plays a role with carrying fats um, and, as its function of APOE and that the APOE4 might not have as much benefit from MCTs or ketone bodies as we see in other populations and genetic variants. Okay. So it functions as a risk factor, but as we know, our genetics do not necessarily equate, you know, how we're going to end up down the line. So there's the whole epigenetic component of your environment and sleep and stress and all of the nutrients that we talked about and your diet to kind of stack on top of that. Like you said. Right. And, and yeah. other genes, like I said, yep. and, and just to be clear, there is though studies that show that an APOE4 does start off with a smaller actual brain. Um, so there is some actual beyond just a risk factor. There, there is pre-genetic tendency towards a disadvantage. Um, and so, you know, having smaller brain size as an entry point puts you in higher risk or amplifies the likelihood of the, you know, breakdown or atrophy. And so we see brain atrophy compounded by things like homocysteine, compounded by things like oxidative damage. But we do know your starting point puts you at a disadvantage, which means it's important to test and look at your genes because you could be more aggressive and proactive with the tools that promote, yes, the expression of this gene. And that goes into, yes, epigenetics. Okay. And then there's this kind of added variable, if you will. Um, APOE4 also tends not to do well with things like grains and legumes and are more prone to 
leaky gut. So if we pull out the saturated yeah. fat, we pull out the grains, we pull out the legumes, what's left or what should they eat? <laughs> so yeah, so Dr. Bredesen is conservative in saturated fat recommendation and fat in general. But yet he does recommend as resources in his program, Dr. Gundry, who does Plant Paradox, and Dr. Terry Walls, who of course is like mitochondrial guru, who's all things paleo. And then her highest level of her diet is a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think that it's just important to note that with anything, again, studies come with funding. There's going to be an ongoing buzz about the Mediterranean diet because there's a lot of funded financial interest in the grain industry. And that's one way to bring in the positives of grains. But we do see, yes, that APOE4 have more genetic susceptibility to intestinal permeability. So on a mechanistic level, I would be much more prone to pull out grains and beans in an APOE4 than I would in being conservative on fats in general. Now, to layer things, I do take my APOE4 patients a little bit consideration on their metabolism of fat. And I do make of their fat intake 50% of that saturated and 50% of that non. And we'll get a little bit into that when we talk about, you know, interventions and, and kind of the, the take home of all of this today. But, but big picture, I want to make note that the clearance and transport of lipids and the mechanisms of APOE is still somewhat unknown. And, um, you know, we're really looking at other influences on enzymatic transferring, antioxidant status, B vitamin status, um, what would drive glucose uptake and neurological signals, and this big picture of whether our, ama beta our, our amyloid plaque, the beta amyloid plaque is going to be metabolized or deposited beyond just this one genetic variable. Okay. So that was a lot. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so I'm still following. Hopefully you guys are too. So, um, you know, beyond this uh, potential for leaky gut compounding in the, the APOE population, not doing well with lectins and grains and beans, there's also going to be compelling research on how APOE can be more taxed with things like excessive insulin and um, thus would do well with a keto or low carb diet in theory. Yep. And I mean, right. So there's a, a bunch of studies out there on the positive about APOEs and higher fat diets. They're just not, I don't think, discussed as widely. Things to note again is that a, a lack of cholesterol supply to the neurons is going to impair our neurotransmitters and our, synapt, our, our synaptic plasticity. So we'll actually get more neurodegeneration and more tau pathology when we don't have ample cholesterol. And that's why when I'm looking at people's lipids, I see anything under 160 and I'm saying, how can we get your cholesterol up? We need to look at pregnenolone. We need to look at your steroid building blocks. We need to ensure you're eating ample fats in the diet and get you off of that drug that's blocking that pathway that's going to literally burn out your brain. So that's a positive of a ketogenic diet is you're getting ample, hopefully, <laughs> forms of cholesterol. And that plays a huge known function in synaptic and neuroplasticity. So that's a bar none. And then there was a study done by the 
Journal of Lipid Research in 2005. And I'm just going to read a little statement from this and then I'll translate the beepu bapu and then we'll move on to application. (laughs) (laughs) But it said... Inhibition of lipid metabolism by apolipoprotein E, or the ApoE gene, and ApoE4 with a high-carbohydrate diet inhibits the delivery of free fatty acids to brain cells. This, along with deficient or imbalanced dietary essential fatty acid, or EFA, essential fatty acid, content may alter lipid membrane homeostasis or regulation, which inhibits the function of neuronal glucose transporters and alters the function and processing of amyloid precursor protein, that APP that I talked about initially. Decreased glycolysis lowers acetyl-CoA-derived ATP, acetylcholine, and cholesterol levels. So what it's literally saying is that, um, and then a last line, chronic excessive insulin signaling, so high insulin demand from a high carbohydrate diet, further decreases LPL activity and increases cellular damage by, for example, decreasing cellular antioxidative stress response. Ultimately, these disruptions result in the increasing cellular dysfunction, synaptic loss, and neural loss characteristic of Alzheimer's disease. What that gobbledygook said (laughs) was that a high carbohydrate blocks the ability of our ApoE already inhibited transport function to deliver free fatty acids to our brains. Remember, our brain requires fat to function. And then it goes on to say that our, um, if we're not getting enough fatty acid content in the diet, we may have altered function on our lipid membranes, which could in turn deplete the actual energy substrates for fuel of the brain. And this in the presence of a refined carbohydrate, which drives high insulin, is literally going to tax and burn out brain activity and drive functions of Alzheimer's. Okay. I think I got it that time. <laughs> Anything? Anyone? I hope. Okay. I, think I mean, it's a big, I think big picture. Yep. What I should say yep. is, you know, like, so yeah, APOE shows that we don't metabolize fats well, um, but being feared, fearful of fat with APOE genetic predisposition may only set you up for further risk factor because you're not sure. giving the juice for what's needed. Oh yes, so much to share. But before we go forward, I need to share our new sponsor, CrowdCow, who I'm super stoked to bring into our audience of the Naturally Nourished podcast. They're all about farm to table movement. And in fact, they take this to the next level when they provide you a zip code search where you're able to find where your meat comes from, all focusing on meat that is ethically sourced, CrowdCow believes in full transparency, and for a limited time, you can enjoy free shipping in addition to $25 off your first order when you use crowdcow.com backslash naturally nourished as your login. Of course, we'll put the link in the show notes, but let us tell you for a couple of moments why Becky and I are super excited to have them as sponsors. Yes. So you know Allie and I are all about eating the foods that you know where it comes from at the end of the day and knowing what what you're eating eats. Yes. So we're looking at 100% grass-fed beef, 
pasture-raised pork, pasture-raised chicken, and you can choose your cuts, which is the coolest part. So you can choose from very fancy steaks, uh, ribeyes, tomahawks, even Japanese wagyu that is fed on olives. Yes. Talk about an amazing fatty acid profile and butter in your mouth. Amazing. (laughs) And they have things like organ meats and other cuts that might not show up at your local grocery store. And you can choose and pick and pull what you want for each share. And it's not a subscription service. So you get to choose your box when you want it, how you want it. You can do it as a special holiday treat or gift or do every other month or whatever really works for you and your schedule. I also love that they're premium ground beef because you guys know I love to make a weekday bolognese. We love to make burgers in my household or organ-based lasagna type deals with zucchini noodles or meatballs. And their premium ground beef is made from dry aged beef. So the flavor profile is literally amazing. It is so different. It has less meat drippings and it is a wonderful mouth feel, which takes any dish to the next level. And that's where quality really sings. Beyond this, as you know, when you're choosing grass-fed meats, you're gonna get a higher omega-3 fatty acid profile, which means more health-supporting fats, lower inflammation, and more nutrient density fantastic bang for your buck. Yes. As we know, holiday eating is always tough and tricky to navigate. So this is something you can really treat yourself to as a guilt-free food choice with clean eating, full transparency into where your food came from. And why would you really want your meat to come from any unknown source anyway? So when you're buying from CrowdCow, you know that you're voting with your dollar, supporting local ranchers and small sustainable farms. In fact, you get the farm name from the source that you're buying, which is an awesome return on your investment. And you know you're nourishing yourself and your family with the quality proteins that also taste the best they can. So go on over to crowdcow.com backslash naturally nourished to get your $25 off and free shipping and get a taste for yourself of quality and and best sourcing of where it's at. Okay. So beyond APOE, which we've covered semi-extensively here, um, let's talk about a little bit of other um, genetic and um, lab testing markers to consider. So if you were someone who had Alzheimer's in the family and you were concerned about that genetic risk factor, perhaps you would go out and get um, APOE tested. And I know 23andMe even tests for that, but what else can we test? Yeah. So if you're in the world of genetics, I would throw on MTHFR, as I mentioned, for sure would be an important one to look at methylation. I would also look at TNF-alpha genes. This is going to give us a marker of cytokines and inflammatory activity in the body, uh, as well as what drives necrosis or basically like tissue decay, which would drive atrophy and and, uh, shrinking, truly shrinking in the brain, which is important. And then uh, a new uh, kid on the block, uh, I'm not even confident how to pronounce it, but um, presinolin, I believe it is, presinolinin, one gene, it is actually a driver of amyloid plaque building. So I've seen it called PS1, and it is a key factor for beta amyloid formation, and it's supposed to be only less than 1% of the population. Um, What happens in the PS1 genetic population is that they have a 
accelerated expression of beta amyloid plaque and homocysteine. And so one of the studies I looked at used SAMe, S-adenosylmethionine, and methylfolate and methylcobalamin uh, to help to reduce that genetic expression. Okay. So again, you can you can nutrigenomic, you can biohack sure. your genes. Sure. And that's, I think, the, the biggest thing to really consider if we have a strong family risk. And even before doing the sexy gene testing, you guys, you can just take a good qualitative B-complex and this glutathione and these nutrients that reduce the oxidative stress regardless of your risk factor. Sure. Um, and then if doing, and you alluded a little bit to this, um, but I want to kind of hit it home. If doing a ketogenic diet, any considerations for a known APOE4 genetic variant? So you mentioned doing 50% saturated fat and then 50% from things like olive oil and avocado oil. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that would be prudent. Um, I, I, I would not lower total fat, as I made very clear. And I don't see any compelling studies to, to be of concern. I think that 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 research from the Journal of Lipid Research uh, really kind of helps to kind of put the nail in the coffin of considerations of being fearful of being keto. But with that said, and with the vein of yielding towards level of, of being conservative, I keep 50% of the total fat, which might be 70 to 80% of the macronutrient distribution, right, um, at coming from uh, monounsaturated sources. And so we drive with things like olive oils and doing instead of maybe fat bombs with butter and coconut oil, we might do fat bombs of forms of dips like baba ganoush or pesto or chimichurri, right? So we are still mimicking some of the benefits of the Mediterranean diet and still supporting a ketogenic diet using nut butters like my friends at F-Bomb um, and incorporating these uh awesome combinations of getting whole food forms from plants and other antioxidant nutrient rich sources versus doing your keto on bacon and butter, right? <laughs> so I think there's a happy medium to pull from all worlds and, and not close our ears and eyes to best support brain function. Awesome. And then let's just kind of take it, bring it all together and, and create some action items for optimizing brain health, just because I know this was a lengthy and very dense <laughs> episode today. So starting with, I think, focusing on whole foods would be always, always the first place to tar start, let's be honest. Um, and then within that, um, ensuring low glycemic of less than 90 grams carbs a day as a max and considering a ketogenic diet. I think absolutely. I, I would have zero hesitation. And if you're experiencing high risk association, I think ketosis is the way you definitely want to go to support neurological health. But yes, bar none, low glycemic at less than 90 grams of carbs per day as a upper limit. And then practicing beyond that macro distribution of carbs, protein, and fat time-associated eating restriction, um, to practice some intermittent fasting, to gain that autophagy and that reset, practicing fasting at least 12 to 16 hours per night would be another recommendation. Um, in the diet, as far as intake, I would look at getting high amounts of phytocompounds. So again, going to a food as medicine keto or low glycemic approach where you're getting foods that have your two to three cups of leafy greens for the foliage, for folate. You're getting avocado. You're getting your berries. You're getting your botanicals as anti-inflammatories. And then the next category I'd go to is 
gut support and health. We didn't really get too much into that today, but there's a lot of compelling research that our gut is, of course, the foundation of what drives inflammatory processes in our body. So supporting our gut with bone broth and gelatin and um, these foods that reduce oxidative stress and immunological distress in our system, supporting that gut-associated lymphatic tissue, uh, balancing out our fatty acids with an omega-3, 6 ratio that's in our favor, using the EPA, DHA extra, eating wild fish at least three times a week, ensuring you're using only grass-fed meat cuts. So um, check out if you haven't yet. ButcherBox is a great resource. You can check them out on my tap bio on Instagram and get a free pound of bacon. And I think it's $15 off your first order. Pretty cool there. And that's going to help by ensuring you get more omega-3s and less omega-6. Reducing oxidative stress. So this would be both with antioxidants, like in the foods I mentioned, as well as that cellular antiox, and then considering even adaptogenic herbs for stress support. This is going to be ideal for early onset and prevention, like the adaptogen boost in our stress support bundle that has ginseng. Uh, Panix ginseng really helps with bringing oxygenation and, and to the brain, which is going to help with blood flow and function and concentration. Keeping carbs in check, as we mentioned initially, can be monitored by that A1C of less than 5.4 or 5.4 and below, and fasting insulin of less than 7, which would be accelerated with ketosis, of course. And then along the vein of keto and the benefits of nutritional ketones in the bloodstream, use of coconut oil or MCT oil at two tablespoons a day to help to produce and give us that mitochondrial boost. Awesome. So, so much to take home. We'll make sure we link to all of the supplements and and products and some of those lab tests in our show notes today, but hopefully this has shed some light for you all listeners in terms of why Alzheimer's and cognitive decline occurs in the first place, how you can use diet as a preventative measure, and then some of the more in-depth interventions, uh, whether you yourself or a family member is starting to deal with some of those signs of decline. Yes. And if you're looking for a resource to jump into this and you're overwhelmed, I think that the best thing to consider that's comprehensive is our food as medicine ketosis virtual group, because that would really give you meal planning and recipes and structure on really tying all of these things together. And then, you know, again, in, in summary, the other resource you might consider is the 10 day detox as a jump in because huge support in those cruciferous foods and the antioxidant capacity and upregulating your detox to reduce that oxidative stress. So those would be two entry points as far as diet, if you will, and, and things to consider if you haven't layered into your wellness journey. So we will put together all of the links in the show notes. I hope that you feel empowered with how to get ahead of these um, conditions of cognitive decline and dementia and Alzheimer's and that you understand how you can functionally assess your own risk factors so that you can be proactive with the nutritional supplements to really bubble wrap your system and bathe your brain in the good stuff to maintain not only protection against decline, but maintain optimal function for cognitive clarity, healthy mood, memory, and healthy stress resilience and response. 
Awesome. Thanks as always for listening, guys. And if you love today's episode, pop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple sentences of why you love the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.